0: Heavenly Father, as we approach both thy throne and thy word, we want to do so in the fear of God, acknowledging thee for thy greatness, for thy power, for thy words fail us, Heavenly Father, to describe that which is indescribable. Heavenly Father. Though our tongue is slow and we we are not able to praise Thee properly, yet we're so thankful to know that Thou art a loving Father, that Thy Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came to reveal this to us, that we do not have to stay in, in, in fear and dread of Thee, but that we can know we can approach Thee as Abba, Father. Heavenly Father, as we are about to open Thy Word together, we ask for Thy presence now to be with us. Since we've heard the news of Sister Veronica's passing, we ask for thy presence to be with Brother Terry and provide for him both comfort and assurance, knowing that her race is now run and she is with her Lord. Be with those that are also uh, going through difficulties, Heavenly Father, and guide us now as we go into thy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> As a continuation to Brother Edmund's sermon from this morning, um, I'd, uh, he, he mentioned in, in his, toward his closing, that verse in James, I think it's 516, uh, that says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Turn with me to 1 Samuel, the first chapter. I'm going to read that together. <clears> 1 <throat> Samuel chapter 1. <clears throat> now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephrathite, and he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so She provoked her therefore she wept and did not eat then said Elkanah her husband to her Hannah why weepest thou and why eatest thou not and why is thy heart grieved am not I better to thee than ten sons so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away the wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have, neither drunk, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way, and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early, and worshipped before the Lord, and returned, and came to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good tarry until thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode, and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks, and one ephah of flour, and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. And they slew a bullock, and brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. I've read the entire chapter. I think this chapter could be viewed as a masterclass in prayer. It tells us many things about prayer and how God answers prayer. And, like I said, as Brother Edmund mentioned that verse from James, my thoughts turn to this chapter and the prayer of Hannah. It's interesting to see you know, we, we read this through and sometimes we, we miss the cultural context of what was going on here. And it, it really is worthwhile to think through this account slowly and carefully and to realize what was really going on here, both f- on Hannah's part but also some of the other characters, some of the other personalities that are mentioned here. These days that are discussed here were not exactly optimal, not the best of times. Eli was the priest of God, but he was not without his faults. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and you can read about them in scripture. They were definitely not godly men. Not good examples. It says they took bribes to render judgments that were favorable for people, because remember, back in these days, the religious system and the legal system were the same. Disputes were settled by the priests. And we read about Hannah's account It doesn't tell us much about Alcana except for what we read here, her husband. But he was really a remarkable man, if you read the clues that are left for us here in Scripture. He had two wives, which was not uncommon in those days, especially before the days of modern medicine. Uh, We take it for granted almost that when someone marries, that uh, eventually children will come and those children will grow up to be healthy adults. That was not a foregone conclusion in this day. It was not uncommon for a woman to die in childbirth. Neither was it uncommon for a young child to never reach adulthood. Infant mortality was high. So if you wanted to make sure that you had Uh, inheritors after you, sons that would carry on the family name, inherit the family land. Men often took more than one wife, realizing that they could lose one in the course of uh, their their marriage and that not all their children would also reach adulthood. And we read in this situation there were two wives and it was not unlike the situation of Rachel and Leah. One was favored more than the other by the husband, but she was barren, and the other had offspring. And like it was with Rachel and Leah, Leah, and in this case, Penina, or Penina as she sometimes pronounced, um, showed, realizing that her, 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 her second place status in her husband's affection kind of shoved the fact that she had children in the face of her rival. And it seems like she was pretty merciless with this. She did this year after year. And if you think about that, every year the family went up to offer sacrifices, to to fulfill vows. Every year, perhaps, or every other year, Peninnah would bring a new son or a new daughter to present before the Lord. And every year was a painful reminder to Hannah that she had none. It's interesting to note that it says the Lord had shut up her womb. We don't often think about those sort of things as coming from the Lord. We like to think of the blessings coming from the Lord and bad things coming from the enemy of our souls, from Satan. But that's not what scripture says here. It says the Lord shut her womb. Read the book of Job. There, Job clearly says, we have received good of the Lord. Shall we not also receive evil? That's hard to remember for us sometimes, right? We want a God that gives the blessings. And then if something unfortunate happens, we choose to attribute that to Satan. One thing you must realize about God, and I listened to a short talk just this past week. That made me pause. Allow me a little diversion here. With the development of artificial intelligence, we are now getting to the point where the machines that we create can create better machines than we can. And there is a theory with information technology that this increase in technology will become exponential. And that, and I'm way out of my depth here, so forgive me for those of us that are (laughs) computer scientists are involved in software, but there's a, there's a theoretical point called the singularity where knowledge and development goes near infinite, and we don't know what that'll look like. And that could potentially be very scary. Those that are more philosophical in nature say we better be pretty careful with how we let this develop, because if evil men take the lead, we could be unleashing a monster something that is, is, is frighteningly intelligent and powerful to the point where it could destroy us, do you realize that you're talking about God? Infinite power, infinite knowledge. That already belongs to one being, and he will not share that with anyone else. There are those that think, well, perhaps there are self-limiting laws that will never allow us to reach this kind of a point. Perhaps there's something in the nature of things that will stop this. But all of this, and again, I I repeat, I'm totally out of my depth when talking about this this subject, but it caused me to reflect on God a being of infinite power, infinite knowledge, but yet characterizes himself as love. Wouldn't that be what we would choose if we could choose a being for this singularity, this all-powerful one? Thank God that we know that that is the way he is not a destructive God, not a God of of vengeance and death, but a God of life and love. But one that we cannot fully understand. Let's remember that. And so God gives us both good and what we would call evil. And he asks us to turn to him. They went yearly to worship. And this worship was a reminder to Hannah of her barren state. And so she turned to the Lord. I find it interesting here to see how this plays out. Eli was a man of God, but he was deeply flawed. He was deeply flawed. And to me, his life is a cautionary tale, and it should be to all those who handle the word of God. <clears throat> we know that Eli was blind. It tells us that later on in, uh, in, the, in 1 Samuel. But unfortunately, he was not just blind physically. It seems he also had a degree of spiritual blindness. He couldn't even recognize fervent prayer happening right in front of them. He confused it with drunkenness. So we need to be very careful. Very careful if we handle the word of God and if people are looking to us for direction that we have spiritual vision, spiritual sight to realize when the Lord is working and when correction is required. It seems like Eli confused the two. Says Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Now listen, what she does? She vowed a vow and said, "The Lord, of, O Lord of hosts, if Thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of Thy handmaid." Re- Stop for a moment and consider that. If, if you will do this, she realized that it was well within God's right to say no to her request. If. I think it's good that we remember that when we pray. There's a school of thought in Christianity that says name it and claim it. That if it's written in the Bible, then we need to, uh, we, can, we, can, we can create a, a, a genie out of that kind of promise. That we just rub it and God's going to snap to our wishes because we simply uttered some magic words by, by parroting a, 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 a statement from scripture. He's bound to do it now. Our God is not so small, if, if God wills. We're reminded again in the New Testament that we should not say we're gonna go here or go there and do this or that, but we should rather say, if the Lord will. And I like that, it's a quaint old mark of the old Nazarene believers. Lord willing, I will do this, or Lord willing, I will do this. Let's not lose that, ha- that, that practice, that tradition that we have. I think it's a good one. It reflects a a better understanding of God when we say things like that. If thou wilt, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a child? No, a man-child. She was specific in her request, and now it's interesting to see in her request it was not a selfish request because she says... Then I will give him unto the Lord. Think about that, mothers. Finally, a child, a man-child, one to carry on the family name. But she says, look, Lord, if you give me this child, I will give him back to you. And she doesn't put any conditions on that promise. She doesn't say, the first one's yours, Lord, and then after that, the rest you give to me. We see that's how it happened. She had more sons. But that was not a precondition of her prayer. So often in difficult circumstances, people make promises to the Lord. God, if you help me out of this situation, then I will do this. It's not wrong to make promises when we pray. But scripture tells us, do not offer the sacrifice of fools. A fool makes big promises and then doesn't fulfill them. But here, this child that she prays for, she says she will give to the Lord and he will be a Nazarite his entire life. It says no razor will come upon his head. He's going to be dedicated 100% fully to the Lord. Now think about that for a moment. There's a few things here that that in our modern way of thinking, we, we, we maybe pass over. First of all, no one's asked a child whether he wants to be dedicated to the Lord. This was assumed. Second, there's no word here of the husband. Don't you think Elkanah would want that firstborn son of his favorite wife to be his? We know in Scripture it says... If, 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 a, if a wife or a virgin daughter makes a vow to the Lord and the husband doesn't approve, he can step in and nullify, or the husband or father, if it's a virgin daughter, can step in and nullify that vow. She has no right to make that vow. She is under the authority of her father or her husband. Here, Elkanah goes forward and makes this promise knowing her husband. And we see that her husband willingly goes along with this. He accepts this. He doesn't step in and and nullify it. What this tells me about prayer, prayer that God hears, prayer that God hears is not selfish. It's not self-centered prayer. It's prayer that seeks to honor and glorify God. Yes, Hannah wanted that son. But that son was not going to be for her. It was going to be for the Lord. And she knew that her husband was a godly man and would agree to that. She also didn't place any secondary conditions on God. She didn't say, if you give me more than one son, the first one I'm going to give to the Lord, and the rest I'm going to keep for myself. We don't see any selfishness here on her part. She was a great and godly woman. She didn't even try to use her special status as favored wife with her husband to somehow get back at Panina. She took it and then took those sorrows to the Lord in prayer, as the hymn says. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. One old preacher that I like to listen to once said, he's long gone now, God does not answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. And I think that's true. When we play at prayer, God doesn't hear. When we hedge our bets, I don't think God hears. But when we come to him in desperation, those are the prayers he hears. This could also be why it seems that the Lord more readily answers prayer in some third world countries, in other places than here in the sophisticated West. There they have no other option. The only thing they can do is throw themselves out upon the mercy of God. Here, once we've exhausted our options, then we turn to God in prayer, and then if things don't go quite the way that we expect, we blame it on the doctors. Who holds life and death in his hand? is it not the Lord? Or do we have such a small opinion of him? Hannah was not concerned what other people would think about her prayer. And so she poured it out before the Lord. You know, as long as we are worried about what other people think of us, God can't do much with us. That's the truth. Christ himself said, how can ye believe ye that seek honor of men? That that verse, I I never really thought of it that way until it was shown to me. Faith is impossible as long as I care what other people think. Christ himself said that. You will not be able to believe if you're looking to men and women for affirmation. Oh, wow. Is it that serious? Yes, it is. You will not come to faith as long as you are looking at other people. I've mentioned this before, and again, this is just something this past week that I noticed and gave me pause for thought. I'm kind of thinking through how the Lord deals with us with salvation, and you know, I think in the past people have made a lot out of acceptance Christianity. Raise your hand if you accept Christ. We don't see that language in Scripture. At least I don't find it. We are told not to refuse him. Don't reject him as your fathers did. That's the commandment from scripture and you know when you read in in Romans uh, uh, um, 5 and 6 it talks about the first Adam and the last Adam Adam of course and Christ and that the difference in the work and how the work of Christ was so superior superior to the work of Adam and it may seem when we look around that it doesn't seem to be the case we see plenty of evidence for sin and the fallen nature of man but so few turn to the Lord and are saved it seems that the second Adam is the weaker one But that's not true at all. His work is complete and powerful. It exceeds Adam's mistake. To me, it's like the rays of the sun. We can see it brings life to everything it touches here on this this earth that the, the, the elements don't have to do anything special in and of themselves. The, the, the sunlight comes and, and things start growing. It's amazing. But the sunlight can be blocked. A shield or a, a shade can be put up to block the light of the Sun. I don't know how many of you are interested in things astronomical, but just recently a space telescope of immense power was launched and I was reading a little bit about it. Again, this is an area way outside of my area of expertise, but they mentioned something which I thought was fantastic. The sun puts out a tremendous amount of energy, radiation, heat. And so in order for this telescope to function properly, it deploys a large gold foil sail. And that sail, the purpose of that sail, is to block the energy of the sun, to create an area of stability for the, uh, for the telescope to operate under. If you ever see, uh, uh, you know, you look through the, the exhaust pipe of a truck when it points upwards, right, and you see the, the heat distortion it creates, and how when you're looking through that hot exhaust, you can't see the exhaust, but it creates all kinds of ripples and eddies when you're looking through it. It's the same sort of thing with the sun, it's putting out energy which causes distortion. And so in order to create a a clean area for the telescope to work through without that distortion, this big shield has to be deployed behind it to create the necessary clear space for the telescope to operate in. And the interesting thing is, on the one side of that gold foil, the temperature reaches 50 degrees Celsius in the blackness of space, and on the other side, negative 300 degrees. Uh, What a picture of God's, Christ's effective work, warmth, light, energy, but when blocked by the will of man, cold death of outer space. We can get in the way of God's will. He allows us. Eventually his will will be accomplished. But in our own lives we can cast a shadow. That's within our ability. God has given us that right. Let me just wrap up. I had one more thought. She prayed her prayer. Eli heard her. Saw her mouth moving. Thought she was drunk, of course. Chastised her. And then Hannah explained what was going on. Then Eli, like I said, it's not he was he was certainly he was a flawed man, but he was still a man of God. He said to her, "Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him." He didn't even ask what the petition was. Did you catch that? There was no knowledge of what the petition really was. She just said she was sorrowful. And that she had poured out her soul to the Lord. And Eli was godly enough to realize that someone who would do that, that would pour out their soul before the Lord, that would be of a contrite and a broken spirit, the Lord would not refuse. And so he said simply, go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Do you realize that prayer is not penance like like, like some of the benighted people in the Middle Ages thought, that you had to punish yourself before God, and so they would make processions down the streets of the city, flagellants they were called. They would whip themselves, thinking that the damage that they were doing to themselves somehow pleased God. God doesn't look for your misery. You don't have to be sufficiently miserable before he will hear you. He wants you to come to him out of need, realizing that he is the source of all things. But once you've done that, you don't need to stay there. God didn't want Hannah to stay in this this position of, of a poured out sorrowful spirit. When she knew that God had heard her prayer, that she had done what she could in appealing to the one who could help her, it says she was no more sad. She went back. I'm reminded of a story I heard once, I think it was about George Mueller. He was a great man of God. And he was on a boat, and that boat was coming into harbor, and he, was, uh, uh, he had an appointment to preach a sermon on Sunday. And he knew that if the fog came in and the boat had to just come to a stop and drop anchor, there was nothing he could, the, the, the pilot could do. He didn't want to run the boat aground. There was no way to see. He said, well, I have to simply wait, Mr. Mr. Mueller. And, and George Mueller said well, if we wait here too much longer, I'll miss my train to make my appointment to preach. And so he said to the captain, who was also a man of God, I think we should pray. And so they knelt down there on the deck. And George Mueller simply said, Lord, you know I need to be in such and such a place to preach. There are those who are waiting to hear your word. Lord, lift the fog. And he got up. And... The captain said to George Mueller, should I pray too? And George said, no, I prayed, that's enough. And they caught up, and the captain said, as we were waiting, I saw the fog begin to lift. And in 15 minutes, the fog was gone, and we sailed on to harbor. A simple, childlike faith. You know, we would expect a little bit more wringing of hands and Oh Lord, George Mueller had a working faith, a faith that said, I've petitioned him, I've told him, the matter is now with him, I will leave it there. So it was with Hannah. After she had made her petition, she went back, she ate and drank. There was no longer need for tears. Her petition had been made to the one who could hear and could do something about it. Now it was with him. And she believed if it was the Lord's will, he would provide. And as we see, he did. So it is. Prayer that is simply, as my brother mentioned this morning, pro forma, out of habit. Now I lay me down to sleep. Or God is great, God is good, now we thank him for this food. And we teach those prayers to children as a starting point. But... Don't we find sometimes our own prayers following the same tired pathway? Our mind wandering? Tiredness coming in? Trouble focusing? Do we really think that God answers those kind of prayers? It's never wrong to pray. And I'm not telling you, don't pray unless you can pray with tears. For some of us, tears come a little bit easier. Sometimes we wish they wouldn't. But God hears desperate prayer. That does not necessarily mean that we automatically get whatever we pray for. He is still God. You don't dictate to the one who is infinitely powerful and infinitely wise. But you can appeal to the one who is also love and wants you to come before him. May we do that more In the West, we've been spoiled, I think, in this way. We have too many options, too many resources at our disposal. We're too smart for our own good. And we forget there is one who is as high above us as the heaven is above the earth. May the Lord add whatever was lacking, and I apologize for going over time. I didn't expect it to be quite this long. So what did Hannah get for her prayer? A boy? A man-child? No. She got more than that. A prophet. A prophet of God. This is something that's good to remember. That when we pray according to the will of God, he gives more. Than even we ask. Look in your scriptures at home. Look for people that prayed according to the will of God and see what the Lord provided. I think that's a useful thing for us as well. It tells us something about God's nature. He's not a stingy giver. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 that's all you ask for, that's all you get. He gives more. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. And again, I apologize for going over time. This concludes our service.